Names like Mary and John appear all over scripture. Because they're so frequent, the different characters and different stories can get blended together. Such is the case for the name James, which is what we'll be taking a look at today. So George, someone recently asked me what the name for this show is all about. As a co-creator of the show, did, did I ever share to you what the meaning of Cast Into the Deep is? You have not? Oh! I, I thought it came from somebody, like, fishing? Yes! Well, I'll, I'll tell you where I got it from, and then where it came from. When I was thinking of names for, for the show, I was taken back to a, a time when I was praying in a chapel, and in big gold letters it had the Latin phrase, Duke in Altum which with my kind of pigeon Latin knowledge is like go into or some lead into the deep, go into the deep. Okay. And that actually is a, a quote from the Gospel of Luke when the disciples are fishing and they're not catching anything. And Jesus says, well, cast into the deep water over there. So it can uh, mean go out into the deep or cast into the deep. So first I checked to see if that name was taken by like, you know, anyone on, <laughs> on podcasting first. Sure. And then I thought, all right, this is great. And I think it's a great reflection of what the show is, that we're trying to take these kind of things that don't have simple answers. We're kind of casting our intellectual, our spiritual kind of minds into deeper waters. Right. Getting more curious about deeper meaning. Yeah, deeper meaning or just even into deeper the... Deeper information. Deeper information or into the realm of things that like we don't have a solid answer for. Okay. Because that's what really, that enlivens our faith. When faith is just reduced, when theology is just reduced to a textbook that you can study and know, we're kind of losing this kind of appreciation for the vastness of God's grace and love. Sure. And so in, in Cast Into the Deep, uh, what we're goal is not to kind of take these mysteries of faith and wrap them up nicely in a box... But instead, we're looking at these gifts that God has given us and just slowly unwrapping the paper. And there was a scripture verse that kind of backed me up on that. So I said, hey, let's go for it. So now you know as well, George, as long with our listeners, you know what our show name means. Would that particular passage have anything to do with James? It did not, because I believe Ah. Jesus was talking to um, Peter and Andrew. But James and John were right around there. So yes, James is kind of connected. That was actually when Jesus was calling the first apostles. And after uh, Peter and Andrew, the next on this list were James and John. Okay. So yeah, good good segue. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, all the different Jameses in the Bible. And what we're going to do today is we're going to be looking at the two apostles named James. We're going to be looking at an early church leader named James and how we got one of the books of our Bible named James. Are you ready for the James Fest? Yes. Awesome. First, we have two of the 12 apostles named James. In the synoptics, we learn that their names are James, the son of Zebedee, and James, the son of Alphaeus. James, the son of Zebedee, is known as James the Greater. Um, He's also mentioned, like I said, closely with his brother John. So whenever you hear James and John, we're talking about James, the son of Zebedee, James the Greater. We know James the Greater was part of the inner circle because whenever Jesus does cool, like fun things like go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's spending his last moments in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's always Peter, James, and John are like pulled away. So they're kind of like Jesus's inner circle of the 12 apostles. Right. We also hear that in Acts of the Apostles, James was killed by King Herod Agrippa. His body would eventually make its way over to Spain, and there's a huge like pilgrimage. You can take like a 14-day walk through Spain. It's called the Camino de Santiago, so the Walk of St. James. It's a 
big fan, fun thing. Um, there's actually a movie called The Way about it with um, Martin Sheen. Martin yeah, Sheen that, is that's the dad, dad, right? Yes, yeah. he's in Martin it. Martin Sheen yes. is president in West oh, Wing. Oh, West Wing. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, Martin Sheen's in it. It's a whole story about a guy going on the pilgrimage with his son, I think. Um, haven't seen it. Heard good things. Haven't seen it. Do you so, know where, where that is in Spain? Um, no. I didn't. I just. I, I was asking. If oh, I, I generally don't know. Okay. Um, that'd be great if. Uh, see if you read the script ahead of time. It could have done some research. I could have. If you know where the Camino de Santiago is, leave a comment. So that's James the Greater, right? All right. The Greater, obviously, not that he was better than James the Less, but that he is more well known. Yes. You mentioned James the Less. Yes. I drove past a St. James the Less on the way here. Yes. So St. James the Less is very near and dear to my heart because that is the church I grew up going to. Is there a lot of St. James the Greater parishes? He is more popular. That's why he's the Greater. Oh, Because he's okay. usually listed first. Because I've only ever heard of St. James the Less parishes. Well, that's because you grew up by St. Well, James Well, yeah, it's right next, right next door. Yes. The parish over, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yeah, so, so, again, St. James the Greater is because he's listed first and he's part of that inner okay. circle. That's why he called... Just the greater and the lesser, just to distinguish the two. But yeah, I would say most churches that are called St. James are named after St. James the Greater. Okay. St. James less, a little bit less love. Although, funny story about him. I was in Rome like five or six years ago, and we had some time to kill before dinner, so we were just like wandering around churches. Mm-hmm. And like I wander into a church, and there's in Latin, it's like sarcophagi of Philip, and I forget what James is. It's kind of like how Diego means James in Spanish. Sure. I forget what the, it's in Latin, it's similar. Yeah. And so I kind of like, Oh, the tomb of Philip and James. So I, I randomly stumbled on the tomb of St. James the Less just in a random church huh. in Rome. So that, that yeah, that was kind if of If you had done research beforehand. If I would have done research beforehand. If you would have read the notes. Yes, but thankfully my Latin skills came in handy there. So um, he's just randomly buried in Rome like many saints and apostles are. Huh. So it's kind of cool stumbling on the saint my church is named after just like finding his tomb by accident. But who was St. James the Less? Who was James the Lesser? He is thought to be the brother of Jesus or uh, the cousin of Jesus. The non-canon, big word here, non-canon, right? Not an official book of the Bible, but it's called the uh, Proto-Evangelicum of James. So it's a a non-canon gospel that didn't make its way into the Bible. And in that book, it says that Joseph was much older than Mary, and so that Joseph had children from a previous marriage, and that it's possible James the Lesser is um, one of those children. As Catholics, we hold that Mary remained a virgin her whole life. So if James is a brother, it would would have to be a stepbrother. Okay. Um, But there's also an argument that the term brother has a wider meaning. So it can mean cousin, it could mean kin, just someone you're related to. So perhaps he was just a cousin of Jesus. Or just like part of his group. Yes, and that, that's also the other idea, is that brother could mean like spiritual brother. Okay. But I think he's he's the only apostle that gets that designation as brother of the Lord. You would think like Peter would be his brother, you know, would be addressed. Right. There is definitely some familial relationship. So they're between, probably related. Probably related. Okay. So evidence for this theory can, goes all the way back to uh, the 4th century. St. Jerome, one of the earliest biblical scholars, he was of the mindset that James the Less is the son of Mary of Clopas, who we hear about in the Gospels. So now James's, we're talking Mary's. And he says in the Gospel of John, it suggests that Mary Clopas is the sister of Our Lady, Mary Jesus's mother. Again, James, cousin of Jesus, is probably most likely, could be a stepbrother, but related somehow. Do you think any of their parents could have come up with different names? So, you know, I heard someone say that's how... Mary you... 1 and Mary 2. Yeah. I, I, someone said, you know, that that must be why the Bible is reliable, because if you were, like, making a story up out of thin air, 
you wouldn't name all the people who are related to each like like brothers Cousins and brothers so- or sisters. You wouldn't name them the same name. Well, I don't know how many brothers or sisters with the same name in scripture, but you wouldn't name like all these characters the same name. Okay. There's like three Marys in the New Testament all bunched in together, like in the yeah. same sentence. It's like if you wanted to make a more compelling story, give them different names. That overlap of names could suggest the uh, historicity of scripture. Rounding out the the story of James the Less, book of Acts tells us that he was the first bishop of Jerusalem and that he was martyred there. Now, what about the letter of James? Was it written by one of these two? Well, the epistle of James, again, epistle just meaning letter that we find in New Testament, the author of that letter doesn't identify himself as an apostle. In fact, the opening line where he kind of says who he is, he's a servant of of Jesus Christ, he doesn't Mm -hmm. say that he's one of the 12 apostles. And you would think if you are an apostle, you would put that like in your letter, in your introduction. Say, this is why I'm an expert. Yes. Traditionally, the letter is connected to James the Less. Scholars, again, they disagree on this. They're a little less certain. About James the Less. See what I did there? I do. This uh, less than certain, it's also due to the Greek that we find in that letter. That's such a well-developed and polished usage of the Greek that a Galilean fisherman, you know, a little bit harder to imagine. It is possible that a James who was popular, who was relevant in the early church, but isn't mentioned in the Bible. It's also possible there was just another James around that wrote it. Or it's possible there was a community that developed following one of the Jameses that this letter came out of. Like the Gospels. Like the Gospels, yes. See our episode on the Gospel of John. Or it's possible that there, he did have a scribe to write it down. So these are all theories. I don't really adhere to one more than the other. Again, it's all the inspired word of God. That's all that matters. That's in the Bible. That's what matters. Then you might notice how we've developed so many different narratives and histories from people that only have a couple verses in scripture, right? Like the way James the Greater, his body ends up in Spain, and it's this great pilgrimage. And there's there's nothing in that in scripture. Like, how did James end up there? As Catholics, we tend to develop a lot of traditions that aren't in scripture directly. And it's easy to dismiss these extra biblical traditions as purely made up. But with most legends, they began with some concrete truth. If we're being really critical, pretty much all of ancient history is based on myth. So many of our other ancient Romans, ancient Greeks, it's not bound in. Even stories of conquest and battle, that's not based on... The Iliad or the Odyssey. Yes. Yeah. Well, even like, but even like Caesar's conquest, like that, a lot of that... Alexander the Great. Yeah. Okay. Based on a true event but definitely not told the way embellished embellished the way it happened. Yeah. And and to our modern sensibilities, this appears as untrustworthy since now when we talk about histories and we talk about facts, right, the whole uh, fake news and truth movements kind of like Mm -hmm. we're really focused on seeing and telling things as they happen. Of course, facts are important and our decisions should be based off of facts. But there's something powerful about the human ability to share stories and pass on traditions. While they might not always be rooted in concrete facts, like we expect of today, there's still immense value to these ancient traditions. In fact, our Jewish brothers and sisters have a word for this called a midrash. Have you ever heard of this, George? Nope. It's a term, it has a variety of meanings, but one of the popular meanings of it is a commentary on scripture. What it is, is rabbis reflecting on the sacred scriptures and developing stories that aren't expressly in scripture passages. So the most famous one is Abraham, the founder of monotheism, right? Well, Mm -hmm. obviously before him, they weren't 
monotheistic. And so this this midrash, this really famous one, is that Abraham's dad was an idol maker. Okay. And that one day he broke one of the idols when his dad wasn't around. And so to pass the blame on, he put like a stick and some food out. And his dad said, what happened to the idol? Well, he's like, oh, they were all fighting over the food on the ground there. And that's why one, that's why some of them broke. And his dad said, they're just statues. You know, how would they fight each other? For Abraham, that started to click things off. If they're just statues, why do we treat them like gods? Okay. Yeah, that's not in the Bible at all. Right. But, but that was it was rabbis reflecting over years and trying to fill in pieces that weren't there. And so it's stories that aren't that are made up, but they're made up reflecting on this divine revealed truth. And of course, a story like that wouldn't have the same authority the Bible has. But it's a tradition. It's a story that is passed down from generation to generation. Part of the tradition. So you know, the important thing is like these traditions aren't on the same level as the Bible or sacred tradition, which we believe as Catholics is handed down by the church. But it's a reminder to us that God does speak to us through a variety of ways, including what we call, kind of in the industry, we call these the small T traditions. Like you don't have to believe that's actually St. James the Greater's body in Spain. You don't have to believe that to, to be a fully-fledged sure. Catholic in good standing. But these small T traditions are, I would argue, inspired by people's love for God. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit that come to us over many years and, and help lead us closer to God. The challenge for us then is to determine which of these traditions, which of these customs is a genuine movement of the Holy Spirit and which of them is just Phil over there daydreaming and thinking that would be cool to put, you know, written down. Sorry if I, I always use Phil as a filler. I was about to ask who's Phil. So I, I noticed this with some other broadcasters that like they'll have like a throwaway name. If they're just trying to say, you know, Phil, I'm don't so be sorry. like Phil, right? And somehow Phil has just come in. I think I don't know any Phil's. Do you know anyone named Phil like that you talk to on a regular basis? I think it was in class with somebody named Phil. But, like I, I've, but, I've come across a Phil in my life, but like if I went through my phone right now, I don't have any Phils. I don't have phone. any Phils. So, so if you were Phil or a Philip listening to this, I know someone from Philadelphia that that's my closest connection. I definitely had a Philip in class. So if you are a Philip listening to this, no, uh, no ill intent. That's just my throwaway name. But yeah, so there's a difference between a genuine tradition inspired by the Holy Spirit and something Phil just thought of. Put in there. Nice going, Phil. And it's hard to you know it's it's hard to discern these right. But when we look backwards, it's easier to see God working in the past, right? It's easier to see how God helps keep these stories alive that are most likely inspired by some concrete action, but have kind of taken a life of their own. And as Catholics, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of that. We should again focus on truth when we make decisions, right? The things the Church has handed down to us as important and as a sacred mm-hmm. tradition. But so many of these little Catholic customs that pop up, they're not bad. And even if they're not inspired by a 1,000% factual event, there's still something powerful about them because it's a human experience being shared. It's So even though James or James or James didn't tell us about this, it's still pretty useful. It's still useful, right, if it helps us grow closer to God because something about the human experience and the human experience of storytelling, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is working through that. So I think the takeaway from this is early stories, especially like early stories in Christianity, they're important, even if they're just stories. They're important even if connecting all the pieces is really hard. And there we have it, 
all the information you need to know about all of the Jameses. If you want more information that you could argue if it's useful or not, you can subscribe to this. Po- it's all useful. You can subscribe to our podcast to catch up on the latest episodes. We love a subscription. A rating helps the show grow. As always, loads of information on the website, mattcressich.com. Throw us a, a Patreon support there. Help us buy a, a new microphone for George over there. That's okay. If you want the quality to be better, give us money. Can't guarantee. Until next time, cast into the deep, dive into the mystery. Mystery.